You are listening to the American Watchmen Roundtable Podcast. The show will begin after the following messages from our sponsor. Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing. But where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Alrighty, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the American Watchmen Roundtable. I am one of your hosts, uh, Sam Whitfield, uh, joined here tonight by Joshua Johnson and, and Gabe uh, Icaboni, and as promised, we are going to be discussing uh, the State of the Union tonight, and uh, for those of you who tuned into the uh, Whitfield report last night, most of you already know what my what my opinions are on the State of the Union, but uh, as always, I think a roundtable discussion uh or I'm not really sure how our table would be shaped if we uh, actually had like a little. We're a trying. Little... <laughs> <laughs> we're trying for three of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some someone someone actually uh, someone actually DM'd me last night on Twitter and was like, you know, is that really a good name for the podcast since there are three of you? So I I don't know, but you know. It's a cool-sounding name, folks. When we came up with the podcast, so that's all that matters. What, what people what people need to know is that originally uh, there were more of us, but uh, uh, some of our comrades fell in the great meme war of uh, 2016. <laughs> not... It was a glorious but short-lived battle. Yeah. So you know. So so when when we started this thing, we we actually did have enough for a round table, but now. It's more of like a sad square, you know, or something at like a restaurant or, you know, one of those family diners. But anyway, I digress. Uh, as we mentioned, we're going to be discussing uh, State of the Union. One of the things I mentioned last night on my show, and uh, I wanted to get your guys' take, is what were your expectations going into the State of the Union, if any? Uh, mine were very low. Um, 
I guess I was I was hoping he would defend the the wall a little bit more. Uh, and, but but really, I guess I wasn't I wasn't looking at it as a high or low expectation thing. I was just incredibly anxious about what he was going to say about Venezuela. And uh, eventually he got to that. But we'll get into that a little bit later, I think. I'll, I'll just kind of say that I thought because the reason I kind of had low expectations was because I thought with the shutdown, um, you know, going on beforehand, the, the mainstream media, and of course, I'm not really surprised by this. They were all saying that, you know, because of the shutdown, Trump was going to have a difficult time at the State of the Union. He was going to get like a lot of, you know, backlash and whatnot, and that it just wasn't going to be good for him. So... I want to say that I bought the mainstream media narrative, but I, I definitely was was kind of pleasantly surprised that there was much more high energy, high energy, um, than, I than you know originally projected. So, I I have to say I was I was impressed by it. I mean, I I guess going in there were kind of two themes, which was how 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 much how uncompromising trump would be or or how antagonistic and how much he would talk more about um bipartisanship and i think he did i think he did a good job kind of cutting or kind of balancing the two i mean because there were there were themes in his speech that were bipartisan in nature but he also um and Josh, I'm sure you and I will talk about it a little bit later on the issue of abortion. I mean, he didn't take any prisoners on that one. That one was pretty much uh, that one was pretty much your baby killers, and I'm not. Yeah, um, I, I I would have to say just kind of in general, uh, Trump, Trump. I was in a Facebook group chat watching the State of the Union, and everyone was pretty much unanimous that. Uh, you know, Trump's uh, Trump's trolling, Trump Trump reached uh, troll level one thousand uh, the other night at the uh, at the State of the Union just with like, <laughs> just with a little subtle jabs. Um, you know, and what 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 was really impressive in terms of his trolling was he even got the all those Democrat women, you know, in white or as I referred to him, the you know the female KKK. He even got. <laughs> He even got them all to stand up and, you know, and applaud at one point. And he was like, no, you guys aren't supposed to. You guys aren't supposed to applaud. You, got, you guys aren't supposed to stand up. So yeah, I will actually have something to say a little bit later about that because I uh, I was slightly off put by I, – I know I'm not the only one either because I've seen other people, but I was slightly off put by that little section of the speech that got them to all start standing up and clapping. Yeah, well, 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 you and I, you and I both, but I mean, I'm, but I mean, I'm off put by, I'm off put by, you know, all that sort of feminist stuff anyway, because I'm, because I'm a misogynist, a misogynist. No, not really. Uh, but that's what my detractors like to say. Well, how dare we want men to have jobs? Come on, Josh, you should know that women should run the world. <laughs> it's. And here's here, and, and I'm, I don't really want us to start on this because I was kind of a little bit later in the speech. But my my issue with it in brief was that when we're in the middle of a demographic catastrophe, really, uh, should should we really be saying, hey, you know what we need? We need more women in the workforce. We don't need more mothers. We need more women in the workforce. 
Um, I, I just don't think it's helpful when, when you look at, at, at that, but uh, we'll get into that later. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, 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 we'll pick that up later. And I'm sure that Josh and I alone could probably do like a three hour podcast on, you know, the whole demographics and equality and, you know, quote unquote equality and all that. Well, but I think, I think it's, I, I do. I think that whole interplay, it speaks to how they how firmly entrenched the belief is that women are somehow playing from behind in society and how they need to over celebrate every success that they have to the de to the detriment of men and it's like you, you, we've known for a long time that women have been getting the majority of the jobs from the recession the jobs that have been coming up since the recession ended have been jobs that they've been taking at a greater rate. I mean, it, this is not new. It's not like a bunch of women just suddenly entered the workforce for the first time. And it's some great n new never before happened success. Well, even so, the, I, to even me, that was what was most off putting about it. Even the whole shtick with uh, the, the, the block of Democratic women all wearing the same outfit. That's not even new. I think this is what? Is this is this the third or fourth time we've seen that now in the in the State of the Union? Where they yeah, all think the same, the same you thing? Know, I think they were, they were even doing that during Obama's presidency, too, now I think about it. I mean... So that uh, that whole... And, and they do it for feminism. For our listeners who don't, who don't know, the whole idea of that unified outfit deal is to show the women block or whatever, because the democratic men, uh, as Joe Manchin, uh, there, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a meme that was going around today and it has the, the look on Ocasio Cortez's face at Joe Manchin. Every time he stood up to clap, uh, <laughs> but no, the, the, the caption on the meme was if you've ever dated a Latino woman, you know what this glare means. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyways it, only the women do that and the whole idea is it's supposed to be a female solidarity thing but it, it, at this point it's like some boring chinese communist party political stunt that they do at every central committee meeting because it's like, <laughs> like we've said it's not new they, they just do it every year i i'm i'm sure you also saw the meme and this is what i ref was referring to earlier i'm sure you saw the meme uh that also said I haven't seen this many Democrats and white since the KKK back in the, the 1800s. So, uh, and that was also true. That was that was where my mind immediately jumped even before um, before that. You know, before before the meme came out. But uh, anyway, I suppose we should kind of go in order and save that for a bit later, though. Um, so, I mean, where to? Where to start? Um, just, I guess, I guess since everyone wants to, to uh, you know, discuss the wall and what, you know, the impact of it at the State of the Union, let's just start there. So, uh, I actually thought that Trump did a pretty good job addressing the, the issue of the wall, um, and it was, it was really just, I, I loved seeing how uncomfortable Nancy Pelosi looked uh, during that whole entire, well, she looked uncomfortable during the whole entire speech, let's be honest, but she looked uh, extra uncomfortable during the wall uh, part of it. I was, I thought she was insanely disrespectful all night. 
the constant shuffling of her papers and re and reading. There were a few times I actually bust out laughing the first time it happened because I thought maybe she just really wasn't paying attention. But uh, she kept on having these moments where she would stand up, be standing up reading a paper, and then everybody else would sit down and be done clapping, and she'd stay standing like the only one in the room beside Trump standing for two or three minutes before she looked up and realized, oh, I need to sit down again. I, uh, yeah, I, that's the, I have to say, that's the first time I've ever seen a State of the Union address where the speaker is actually shuffling papers. Uh, and I know why, and I know why she was doing it. And I don't, uh, I mean, I, I know why she was doing it. I think it honestly backfired on her. I think it made her look worse. I mean, nobody loves Pelosi other than people who are diehard partisans, but I think it made her look smaller during the speech because it's really hard not to figure out what she's trying to do. Like you have to be really dense not to figure out what she's trying to do, which is basically just bother Trump and distract him. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. Moving on to the wall though, I guess I, uh, I'll play uh, devil's advocate. I wasn't really disappointed, but I thought it was kind of underwhelming. And it's not really Trump's fault, but he's been he's been kind of, uh, or Jared has sort of convinced him to water it down to the point where I, I said to a friend of mine I was watching it with, I said, in which Trump tries to sell a fence as a wall. And, uh, and you know, it's not a bad thing, but I, I don't like the way we insist on calling it. And he sort of blocked himself into a corner on this one. So I guess there's that. But uh, I don't I don't really like how we insist on calling it a wall, even though at this point we're essentially arguing for a slightly larger fence. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think the uh, can you guys can you guys still hear me, by the way? I'm kind of I can. Yep. OK. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just I'm trying to fix this uh, soundboard because if I can get it to play, I have some really good clips that we can use for. Uh, Pelosi, but uh, anyway, I th I think the 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 big thing that people always miss with the with the wall is uh, I actually asked some of my Democrat friends uh, and just people who are opposed to the wall in general what they think the wall is going to be, and I suppose this isn't isn't really a surprise once you think once you think about it, but the whole uh, those who are opposed to to the wall, there's a big fear that if Trump gets his way, we're going to be doing, we're going to be building a whole big uh, Berlin Wall, you know, complete with uh, you know, floodlights and barbed wire and like, you know, communists and Nazi guards, you know, and bell towers just, uh, you know, shooting down anyone who you know tries to either escape or come across the border uh which is you know so essentially it's like a horror movie you know where you can't can't escape and that might seem laughable but that might seem laughable to us but to them that's like the legit fear um of what the wall is going to be so uh whereas trump basically as just said wants to build a bigger fence So. Well, I mean, I I think it was Trump continuing to stake to stake his his or continuing to place his stake in the ground about it. But 
I think he knows he's not going to get what he wants out of the speech. I mean, basically, that section of the speech was him just rehashing all over again what he's been what have been his reasons for arguing for the wall um, have been for a while. So it, it didn't it, it didn't tread any new ground. I'll I'll put it this way: Trump literally spent more time talking about uh, cancer, children with cancer and uh world war ii than he did talking about immigration so that really wasn't the focus of the state of the union i don't think either um i will say going on to that topic though that uh i found it kind of amusing that when it came to talking about unity we were we were scraping very bottom of the barrel very basic levels of human decency to try and get the to get both parties to stand up and agree on something, and even then, someone wouldn't do, do it. Ocasio Cortez didn't stand up for the the poor cancer kid, even. So uh, the whole the whole unity shtick, or that that there is any real bipartisanship that's going to happen, um, while I wish it were true, uh, it's just a really sad joke at this point because if you can't if if you're going for we need to stand up against children having cancer is your message to unify people. That's, that's kind of setting a low bar. Um, and I would say though, that, uh, as we've discussed before on here, I did like when he brought up the infrastructure, um, because that is one area where I would hope that some bipartisan consensus could be reached. And if it can't, then I think it just speaks to how utterly insane the democratic party is gone because they've wanted that for years and this is your shot and you're going to blow it. You're going to, you're going to throw it away because you don't like who the president is. Yeah, I, 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 I will say that was, it, it, it took a lot to get everybody to cheer. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have expected when Trump talked about cancer for Democrats to stay seated. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so so did I. Um, and I mean, I and I, I kind of remember during that whole like, that during that whole part when uh, when Trump was talking cancer, like you could you could literally see uh, Pelosi in the in the back, like saying like. Oh fuck! Now I have to. Now I have to clap. Like I don't want to, but you know, damn it! I'm gonna look like I'm gonna look like even more of a bitch if I don't. So here, yeah, here's the real question. Have, and maybe Gabe, because you're you're sort of my point man on this kind of thing. Have has there ever been a State of the Union at least since they were televised? Maybe you know, maybe Andrew Johnson. I don't know. But at least since they were televised, where it was so blatantly obvious that that, that that there was no consensus and that both sides of the chamber wanted to kill each other, it seemed like? No, uh, not not to my knowledge. I mean, I, I think the – well, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it was clearly obvious um, – and actually, I was reading an article about it the other day, and then I actually watched the the replay of the State of the Union on um, on YouTube. 
And there were there were members at certain part, especially the freshmen, there were freshman members who didn't know whether to get up and clap or not during certain parts of Trump's speech. And you can sort of see when the camera pans out, the older members were sort of like moving their hands up as if to say, yeah, you guys, you guys and gals need to stand up and clap. I mean, because they, they either they didn't it, it's pretty clear they didn't want to do it, but they didn't know whether decorum demanded it or whether or how it would look to the cameras. That on, I saw that Pardon? On pretty basic things. I mean, I'm not talking about, you yeah. know, things like abortion or the wall. I'm talking about like, you know, again, cancer. The uh, I actually saw that right before we went on the air tonight. I was watching a video of Ocasio. And I don't, maybe they have cameras on all of them. I know. But this seemed like it was a camera. that were just sitting, sitting dead locked on her all night. And uh, and you could see there were moments where she looked around, except she would see other people clapping and getting up, and then she would just stay sitting anyway. Uh, it's kind of funny. But I, you because know, like, she would crane her head completely all the way around. like She would lean forward in her seat and look and try and see if uh, you could tell what she was looking for. And then she just chose not to do anything anyway. Josh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, last night on my show, you know... For, for those of you who may be listening to this on uh, audio podcast, I highly encourage you to uh, go back and watch last night's uh, YouTube video of the, of the Whitfield Report because I actually made a point of pointing out like a few times in the State of the Union uh, when Ocasio-Cortez and other Democrats, you could see that they were literally conversing um, with each other, and I'm not, I'm not like a whip, uh, uh, a, uh, lip reader, but they seem to, like, ask the question of, like, well, you know, should we, like, they were, they were conferring on whether or not they should, you know, stand and clap with, with each other on, like, you know, on relatively basic things. And I, I, I yeah. I'll, I'll let you finish, because I had a thought on that. And, and I just thought, I just thought that it was, like, it was just kind of like, well, geez, you guys really are like a pack of a pack of sheep, like you know, waiting for. I mean, the, the fact that you guys need to like, you know, have like a thirty-second conference discussion on whether or not you guys will stand and clap over like some pretty basic things. It's like, I I'm not even so sure. I'm not even sure the Republicans hated Obama that much that they had to do that during. The uh, Obama's State of the Unions. The, th the thing is, they're not the only sheep in there, though, or or maybe sheep's not the appropriate term. But I I took issue with the idea, and it's not just this State of the Union; it's every State of the Union. I've I've slowly gotten more cynical and and uh, just uh, tired of the whole charade over the last few years. Not just under this president, but under Obama and and past ones. But the notion that you that the members of Congress need to get up and clap every other sentence almost uh, to show they support the president that they presumably if they're if it's their own party, they presumably should support anyway. Um, and the uh, the point at which they began uh, chanting USA, 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 uh, it, it, it seems to me almost. And I think that people in middle America watching this, not just the State of the Union, but any of them kind of look at it and see one big circle jerk because it's basically the political class sitting up there 
talking about the things that they're most concerned about and then applauding the fact that they're discussing the things that they're concerned about. Um, I, I, I just, it, it's political theater, really. A lot of it is. And I think, uh, it, it, to me, it's just silly. Like, like I remember somebody else said to me during the first 15 minutes or so, they said, remember everyone, we don't need to st stand up and clap after every other word he says. Well, well, I also, I also remember, remember thinking like, I, I remember, I remember like people making like a, like a big deal about, about like the whole, uh, unity thing of like, you know, of everyone coming together for the childhood, you know, cancer thing. And I'm like, I'm like, that's kind of a, of a bad argument because, um, imagine if, Imagine if Trump had said that and someone like sat down, you know, during the whole we should er eradicate child cancer. Like they, that's like one of those things where like, well, duh, everyone is going to, you know, support that. That's not like a that's not like a unification moment. We should all be behind eradicating childhood ca childhood cancer. And if you don't stand for that, you're gonna look like a dick. So I uh I I think. And, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, maybe this might be a good time to segue into the whole uh, the thing about women, because that was one of those points uh, where they did seem to have that rare moment of unanimous applause from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, Josh, since you were the one who brought it up, I'll, I'll just let you start. So. I was going to say we should let Josh take the lead on this one because he's rearing to go. Uh, well, yeah, so, so, uh, well, the thing to me, watching the speech, it didn't really start to get meaty for me until that, that wasn't real. That was like the last non-meaty moment, but it did bother me. And then he got into abortion and, and it kind of began rolling. Uh, but, uh, there was this point for our viewers or our listeners, I should say, who didn't watch the speech or read it or whatever, uh, where Trump just starts going on this sort of bizarre tangent about how many how many women there are in the Congress and how many women CEOs we have in America and how many women there are who are working. And he did use it to bring up at least one good point. I will say that I agree, even though I disagree with Ivanka on probably everything else. The only positive thing she's contributed to this administration is the push for paid family leave, because that is something we need, because it would enable people to uh, especially millennials to look at having a family and not having to worry so much about the unfortunately growing financial strains of that. But the thing is, while he's praising all of these women and, and I'll let Gabe address more of the point about about men who are not taking these jobs, because that's that's an issue as well. But it wasn't my my uh, complaint about it so much. It is a complaint of mine, but it wasn't the one that I was immediately thinking of. Um, but the thing is, as I mentioned earlier, if you read or pay attention to politics or anything at all like this, you have no doubt heard about the baby bust we were in. Just, I think it was maybe a week before the State of the Union came out, the new uh, report or the new study said that America is not having enough children to, to remain above replacement level. And this is bad news, especially considering entitlement, because we, we need to have more young people than we do older people if you want to continue to see uh and, and our safety net's not too terribly strong in the first place i've complained about that a lot on this show and you guys know i complain about it 
Anyway, so I'm doubly concerned because we already have a kind of weak safety net and it will only get weaker if our tax base keeps on shrinking. And it's not just the the shrinking tax base, but it is the the societal uh, problems that begin to arise when you see demographic decline, like we've sort of seen in Japan. And I, I'm, that's a whole tangent for another time. But I think I've discussed on here before the uh, whole myriad of, uh, of problems that they've had in terms of uh, gender relations and sexuality and attitudes towards families and having children that they've had as a result of their uh, increasingly old population, while the young people are uh, seemingly totally disinterested in, in continuing on the country by having, having children and, and, and contributing uh, to their country in that way. Uh, and it speaks to very troubling cultural uh, to, to very troubling cultural trends that are that are that are common in the, how we think about these things. And so, for example, one of those, as as I've sort of mentioned, is this notion that we need women working and that we need to have more. And I'm not opposed to women working. But right now, when you're when you're having a situation where uh, where there are not uh, where we're not above replacement level, maybe it would be a good idea if the president came out and said, hey, look, our culture vilifies people, women who choose to be mothers all the time. But anybody who has chosen to, to prioritize their family life can tell you how much of a full time job that is on its own, how challenging it is on its own and how rewarding it is on its own. And we're not saying that that has to be exclusively what you do, but by the same by the same, you know, the other side of the coin, if you will, encouraging women to basically become men and to prioritize career above all else and to wait until they're out, out after their childbearing years, the, the years during which they're most fertile, to wait to postpone family until after they've they've crossed that bridge is not being uh, it's not having a positive impact on our society. And instead of challenging that, he sort of just rolled with that cultural trend of saying, yep, this is good. This is what we need. And uh, and uh, it, I, I was bothered by it. I, I guess I'll let you guys follow up there and we can kind of pick it up from yeah, there. Josh, I, I kind of I mean, I, I do have to I do have to agree with you there. Um, my, t my take on it is slightly different. I actually think. I actually kind of thought that, again, Trump was kind of reaching master troll level there by, bring, by, bring that, by bringing that up. Uh, you know, it just goes to show that Trump is not the sexist that the left makes him out to be, um, clearly. Is my, is my volume super low again? I'm not getting a super high. I, I think you're okay still. Okay. Uh, I think you're okay. Okay. I, I, I will say, I mean, I, I, I agree with Josh. Ultimately, I, I take a slightly different tack on it, not not disagreeing with what with what you said, Josh, but just that it sort of it, it sort of perpetrates a myth that I think a lot of women and I think a lot of people in society believe, which is that somehow we need to create more jobs for women because they don't have any access to it and, the, and they, they, there aren't these kinds of jobs when these are the kinds of jobs that have been being created for the last 50 years. I mean, when, when you think about it and connecting it to what's going on broadly in America right now, it, it, the suicide epidemic that's hitting middle America is not a bunch of women 
committing suicide because they have nothing to do with their lives. You know who's committing suicide at higher rates than at any time in our history? It's white middle-aged men who are generally lower income, who occupy the kinds of jobs that are not being created at the level that they used to be. And in turn, the jobs that are being created are more office administrative type positions that women are predominantly filling. So it's it's sort of fil- it's sort of continuing to perpetrate this myth that men are dominating society and that means that they're dominating employment, which which hasn't been true for the last 30 years. I would go I would I would add it's not even just particularly white men because I, uh, as I think I mentioned on here once before, I went to Denver to the Western Conservative Summit about two years ago now, and uh, I actually picked up a book from I believe it was the uh, I believe it was AEI, uh, but uh, it was it was the uh, I can't remember the title of it now. It, it was basically exactly what Gabe's talking about. It was the it was a basically it wasn't so much of a book as it was a demographic report or a study or whatever you'll t- you, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it addressed the steep decline in men in higher education as students or as teachers. It addressed the uh, the steep decline in, in men in the boardroom. It addressed and and the fact that while there may be a lot of them now today, that doesn't really show us twenty years in the future. Because if you look at the the students that are going that are being trained to fill those roles one day, they are overwhelmingly women. Uh, I talked about the uh, the way that our public school system uh, prioritizes uh, young girls over young boys because young boys tend to be a little bit rowdier and they get sort of punished for that uh, instead of instead of acknowledging that, hey, maybe they learn differently because they are different. Um, and and it, it addressed all these things. But I, I just wanted to add it wasn't specifically just white men. It was men across the board who are uh, who are sort of. Uh, uh, taking a beating on this, if you will. Well, well, men are well, men are taking a beating in uh, multiple areas. Specifically, I I did I didn't want to bring this up, although I think I might have brought this up uh, on on previous podcasts. I can't remember, but one of the other big prob- problems that men are facing, it, it's not just economically, and and whatnot that we're where men are struggling, and it's not just the the economics and the fact and facts and figures, uh, men are being demonized from a very early age across uh, across uh, races and different economic demographics as being inherently right uh, as being uh, quote unquote inherent rapists. And I'm not making that up either. I remember uh, when I was in high school, uh, so going back to 2013. We had an entire Amnesty International Day um, where uh, a bunch of liberal speakers came in to talk out their, you know, causes and whatnot. Some of it was, some of it, I guess, was okay, like world hunger and whatnot, but the vast majority of it was all male bashing. In fact, I, I didn't even make it through the entire day because I remember one... I remember one uh, speaker in particular, she came in and she discussed how she was, she uh, talked about how she was raped on uh, a college campus by a man she knew. And she made, during her speech, she made some pretty, she made a pretty, what I thought was a pretty uh, 
uh, flagrant uh, statement saying that uh, every single man in this room, uh, in the scene, now this was for the entire class, every single man, young man in this room is a potential rapist. And, uh, I got, I got up and, and left, and I, and we weren't allowed to leave, but I, I told security that I, I told security that I was, that I was leaving, so help me God. Um, and I mean, it just goes to show that this demonization of males and in male culture, and it's been going on for a while, um, is really dangerous because, uh, you know, as Josh said, it is concerning that millennial families are not uh, having kids. I think it's also troubling that many millennial men uh, aren't dating. That's not to say, you know, that a lot of us aren't for lack of trying, but a lot of my friends who I know, they don't want to date because they hear these stories of, you know, women making uh, false rape accusations and they kind of think, oh, well, you know, F it, you know. Well, it's... I'll say this, and, and we're going to talk way more on this in depth later, so I'm, I'm not going to say everything I want to say on it because we're going to, I think we're going to hold off a lot of that till we get to Virginia. Yeah. Um, but uh, if if you look at these, and you should look at it this way, but if you look at this these things at a, from a metaphysical level, uh, you you understand, and, and this is what my issue has been with me too from the very beginning. I've said on this podcast before that right the very night that the Weinstein story broke, I just got this deep sense that there was something supernaturally wrong. Not, I mean, I'm not defending him. What he did was wrong, but the way the media was covering it, I had a deep sense that there was something supernaturally wrong with the kind of movement that was that was, that was starting to just sort of blossom at that time. And I went down to my church and I immediately prayed about it. And I just prayed to God that whatever this was, it would not result in a further division of men and women, because that's not what God wants. God does not want men and women to be uh, opposed to one another or to be in fear of one another. Uh, you know, it's deeply unfortunate, and I've seen it like exactly what you're talking about, Sam. I've seen it far too often with young women in our generation and uh, in the media saying that every man is a potential Ted Bundy and uh, that they are convinced that every man they meet, they're looking at them, they're, they've got their guard up because they think that that guy is going to be the one to rape them. And that's not what God wants for these women. He doesn't want anybody to live in that kind of uh, that kind of borderline hysterical fear especially not when you consider why God made man and women, what, what God made humanity for. He wants his creations to love one another and to engage with one another. And, and that's why I'm, why I take such issue with this because it is uh, it's, it's a continuation. It's, it's building on that the whole me too revolution is building on the failed, the failed uh, presumptions of the last sexual revolution and you you can't fix it just it doesn't fix the problem it just gets us farther and farther away from the solution um and and speaking specifically i i'm about to lose the point i think i've lost it it'll probably come back to me later i'll let you go from that if i may kind of bounce off on that the 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 ironic the ironic thing is and i i discussed i discussed this um in depth on the on the thursday podcast the 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 ironic thing about about this whole uh about this whole me too 
movement, and also kind of the uh, the sexual revolution is they is uh, the left likes to say that we were uh, puritan that we were too puritan uh, before the sexual revolution, but in and and we'll talk about this in maybe a future podcast, but uh, in my mind, the left has become more more pure even more puritanical than the, than the religious right um dennis prager wrote a, a pretty interesting column which i highlighted on the thursday show where uh where uh i guess this feminist group now wants uh the nfl to get rid of their cheerleading squad because they find uh they find cheerleading squads within the nfl to be too sexualized and too uh you know demeaning to women Never mind the fact that these are the same feminists who want, you know, to be able to post, ex- you know, sexually explicit artwork, um, you know, on Instagram and whatnot. Also, never mind the fact that a lot of the NFL cheerleaders themselves uh, do not see what they do as being objectifying. And in fact, if you talk to a lot of the NFL and, you know, and college cheerleaders, they've gained lots of uh, opportunities from you know, being able to dance on the sidelines or whatever. So uh, I just, I just find this whole, uh, you know, sex revolution from the left to be quite ironic, kind of. I'm glad you bring that up because you reminded me of the, the point I wanted to make. Uh, so they, uh, he, he, here's essentially the problem. Sin begets sin. Nothing good comes out of sin. Only God can make uh, good results come out of evil. Uh, only God can do that. We can't. And what we often, what what happens, like I said before, they're they're running with the presumptions of the last failed sexual revolution to launch another one. So they're basically saying that sin was okay. We're just going to build onto it. Sin begets more sin. And so here's the thing: you often hear feminists say there was a double standard uh, in the 1950s. A man could go around and have as much sex with as many women as he wanted, and that was fine. But a woman did that, and she was called a slut or whatever. And and they, and they and here's the thing. Yeah, that was wrong. I'll admit that was wrong. That wasn't right then, and it, it wouldn't be right now. But that doesn't mean that you say, oh, the men are going around and sleeping with whoever they want and not getting in trouble for it. We should lower ourselves to that standard, too. That seems to be what their answer is. And, uh, and that's what the sexual revolution was, and we've seen... Uh, how that turned out. That's what led to things like Harvey Weinstein. And uh, and, and the irony of it, uh, as you, you mentioned earlier with the all men may be rapists thing, is that they basically become a, a, a sort of a twisted reflection of what they said they were against. So, uh, for example, uh, before the criticism of those of us who uh, want a culture of modesty has always been, well, you should be able to control yourself just because you see a naked woman doesn't give you the right to rape her. And nobody ever said it did in the first place. I would say that is wrong. But you, what they've done is they basically flipped it around now and said that, uh, that well, men are all, they, they can't control themselves. They're all rapists. They see us and they want to rape us. So you, you can kind of see how they've, they've just, they've, they've sort of, uh, they've sort of become a twisted reflection of themselves. I think that sums it up pretty perfectly. Yeah. And if- and and don't want to go off onto a tangent on this. I know we'll get into it more with Virginia because that's the whole issue I have with Fairfax. But yeah. uh, plus, I think we're not even halfway through State of the Union. We're going to be in for a long show tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 
one of the other so yeah going back to state the state of the union one of the other things i found uh i didn't talk about this a lot and i i don't think it bears a lot of discussion but i will say i uh i think the fact that trump brought up the uh the holocaust survivor in the world war ii vet and and you know did that whole thing i, I think that was uh pretty good obviously uh however the media is going to continue to uh label trump as being uh quote unquote alt-right they're going to continue lumping him in with the likes of richard spencer despite the fact that trump has uh in my mind been the most one of the most uh, outspoken presidents uh against anti-semitism that i can remember uh it's so you know it's again it's kind of an ironic tragedy there i will i will say that i thought uh and this goes maybe as a good segue into the the foreign policy realm of things but i i thought that there was almost too much focus on that uh, I, I know that the ending, the ending attempt to drive home the unity point with World War II would have been good, except it seemed like he dragged it out for so long. About midway through, I was asking, "What in God's name are we talking about?" I've forgotten the plot, but yeah, there uh, was a hole there. Yeah, and, and I think maybe this is a good uh, segue into foreign policy. My my second big item from from the State of the Union. Um, oh boy. Because uh, for me, the the focus there, there, there is almost, you know, for, for all the, it, it's almost like even when it comes to foreign policy, evangelicalism has almost become the de facto state religion because it's used to, it's used to justify our entire policy towards Israel. Uh, I, I've taken, I've found it particularly humorous that at the, 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 I've, I'm going to butcher his name again. But the Guidao or Guidao or however you pronounce his name, the opposition leader from Venezuela, at all of his events, they have American and Israeli flags there. And I'm always like, well, what in God's name does this have to do with what's going on in Venezuela? And you see it in South Korea, too. Just today, there was a protest uh, by a group of South Koreans against uh, against Trump's tweets from uh, last night or two nights ago, where he announced that he's going to be meeting with Kim Jong-un again. And he praised Kim Jong-un. But they had Israeli flags at the South Korean protest against uh, Kim Jong-un. And I was just laughing because I was like, what in God's name does this have to do with uh, the Korean Peninsula? But um, the, the, Holocaust, the Holocaust point, one of my major sticking points with the way he used that was that he, used, he, he basically told a blatant lie about Iran when uh he he ran with the and maybe i'm i'm jumping around maybe if you guys had some more specific questions about the foreign policy i might not do that but uh he told a blatant lie about iran saying they wanted to finish the holocaust and they wanted to kill all the jews but the largest the third largest jewish community in the world after the united states and israel is iran there is a thriving jewish community in tehran i uh shared it I, maybe i tagged you guys in it in fact the the news clip uh reporting on them jews in in uh iran are not being murdered for their faith they're allowed to practice their faith it is a protected faith group but uh even the very next morning the iranian foreign minister javad zarif uh tweeted about it uh saying uh we're uh, going to continue our work with our jewish compatriots he said 
So, uh, and that was, I had a lot of issues. I said to a friend of mine during the foreign policy section, and I'll let you guys take it from here, that I was getting ready to have an aneurysm. And the thing that was so sad about it was it followed right after abortion because I was mid-sentence. I kid you not. He was finishing up on abortion and he was saying that all children are made in God's image. And I agreed with him completely. And I, and right as he was getting ready to transition, I was mid-sentence saying to a friend of mine, this is the best part of the speech. Oh, no, he's going into foreign policy. And it was exactly like that. And, uh, and I'll let you guys sort of follow up with your thoughts from there, or maybe your questions or, or whatever. Well, well, first off, I was going to make a joke, uh, uh, you know, about how, obviously, Josh, there are a bunch of Jews in the in the Korean Peninsula. There, there are... There are a ton of Jews there, so that's why there was the uh, Israeli flag. Well, the actual, the actual reason behind that, because I, I actually, that was what finally was too much for me, because I had been seeing them in Venezuela, and I had been, and then I started seeing them at these South Korean protests, and I finally was like, screw it, I need to know what the reason, the rationale behind this is. And in both cases, it was evangelical groups who were convinced that they need to align with the United States because the United States government, especially under Trump, has taken such a solidly Zionist position. And and this is a tangent for a whole other episode, but it just blows my mind because only in America, only in America, or only, or rather I should say, because apparently they've their missionaries have spread it there, only in evangelical circles is Israel upheld as this prophetic end times event. Because if you look at the, the Catholic and the Orthodox churches that comprise most of the Christian population in the world, the the attitude towards the references to Israel and the, and I'm speaking more for the Catholic faith than the Orthodox uh, the the reference towards Israel in the Book of Revelation is that it's the Church, not that it is the geopolitical entity known as the State of Israel. Uh, and, and the the fact is that that Palestinian Christians in Israel are persecuted because of their race, because of who they are. Uh, they they aren't protected because they are Christians. The 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 fact is when it comes to to Christians in the Middle East, the Syrian and Iranian governments do a better job protecting them than uh, the Israeli government does. Um, but that's a tangent for a whole other episode. I I will say, Josh, that I've I've had a couple. I actually do have a, a few listeners uh, of the podcast from Israel, and, and one of them actually uh, DM'd me on Twitter and uh, was saying that um, Americans are more that like Americans and specifically like American neoconservatives, it seems, are more obsessed with this whole, we need to, uh, you know, Israel is our greatest ally, you know. Well, it's the, and, it's the, the American conservative, which you guys know I love to read. Uh, they had an article out the night, either an hour after the speech or the day after, and it was called the Irrational Iran Obsession. And it talked about that because... What reasons does the United States have to, to continue this obsession with Iran? They haven't attacked us. They, uh, they're supposedly, this is the other issue I took with the speech, they're supposedly, according to our government anyway, the world's leading state sponsor of terror. But the fact is, and I'll try and break it down as briefly as possible, that Iran, there are only two organizations that you can say are, uh, that you can make an argument for, I should say, that are uh, supposedly terrorist organizations that Iran backs. Hezbollah, which the U.S. State Department has not classified as a terrorist organization since 2015, and which has never attacked the United States, and which has never attacked any country besides Israel, and Hamas, which, like Hezbollah, has never attacked any country besides Israel. 
And uh, in Hezbollah's case, they're actually a Lebanese political party with an armed branch that protects the Christians in Lebanon. I've shared with you guys before an article from Crooks, which is a, a Catholic publication, talking about how Lebanon is the place where Western stereotypes about Middle Eastern Christians go to die. But those are the only two organizations that you can make the case for Iran backing that you can attempt to make an argument are terrorist organizations. But again, they've only ever attacked one country. If you look at the, the organizations that uh, Saudi Arabia has backed, the Wahhabi Salafist Islamic organizations like ISIS, al-Nusra, al-Shabaab, and al-Qaeda, they have records attacking multiple countries across the globe and multiple nationalities, including America. And they are funded. They're all, they're all a, a radical, uh, a, a radical I, I would say, uh, bastardization of Sunni Islam, uh, uh, Wahhabism. Um, but there, there, there are no major Shiite groups. The only two, the only one I can think of would be Hezbollah, and it's not really a terrorist organization. Uh, Hamas is majority Sunni, um, but the, the, there is no. The, think about it. There's no reason for America to be so irrationally obsessed with Iran, except for the fact that Iran and Israel uh, have incredibly negative relations between one another. Yeah, and. and uh, well, I mean, I will Go say, ahead, I mean, it, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not super surprising that portion of the speech. I mean, Trump has been pretty much, um, I mean, other than just rhetoric, Trump has been pretty consistently a traditional um, Republican conservative on foreign policy. I mean, he's, he's, he said a lot of things that have riled certain political, certain conservative circles but he hasn't done anything on it. So it, I mean, it, it, you, you can look at it and go, it's not rational, the obsession with Iran. And I think to an extent that's true, but neither is the irrational obsession with Democrats with Russia. I mean, partly it's a creation of partisanship in terms of Republicans don't like Iran because Obama made a deal with Iran and we have to undo the deal that Obama made. By the same token, it's Democrats now suddenly focusing on Russia because supposedly Trump has dealings with Russia. So it's it's not I mean, it's not necessary. It's not just um, the the geopolitical relationship. It's also just the partisan relationship and the parties basically just finding something to define as as their boogeyman and to focus on. Uh, I, think, it, I, I mean, I, I will say I wasn't surprised that Trump spent a, t a, a significant portion of his speech on on Iran while he didn't talk about the fact that Saudi Arabia was basically bombing a bunch of women and children in Yemen. Uh, you kind of, I mean, if, if you know politics at all, you kind of just know that that's going to happen. Um, and it doesn't make it right. And I'm not saying that people don't have a right to complain about it, but it honestly is one of those things that I personally just expected to see and saw. I think that's a really good take. And I want to thank you for reminding me to actually praise him on something because I haven't done that. Uh, because while I was upset on a lot of the foreign policy, there were a few good things. Uh, the the diatribe against endless war that he kept bringing up, I thought was really good. And and I'm just disappointed that it's not been more consistently applied because he has taken really good steps uh, on Syria and Afghanistan. And as an update for our listeners, it seems like the jury is still out on Syria because as of yeah. today, I saw that there were elements, there were signs that they've already set a date for when we're going to completely withdraw, even though uh, Pompeo and Bolton are trying their damnedest to stop it.
Um, so we'll see where that goes. Hopefully the bureaucracy fails at preventing this. But um, so he has taken good steps uh, on countries like uh, on, on withdrawing from Syria and Afghanistan. It's, it's just that it, it's not been consistently applied, like I said. So during the speech, I, I praised him for that. But I was deeply disappointed when it came to the, the bashing on Iran and then the, uh, the uh, push for more intervention in, uh, in Venezuela, um, which I think, as we've discussed last week, I was pretty solidly against. I, w I would uh, have to agree with that on both uh, points. I, uh, I, I was actually looking at stuff regarding uh, uh, mm, I, I forget I forget the governor's name the the the, uh, the blackface Governor oh, Northam. Uh, Ralph Northam. Yeah, are are we are we gonna are we gonna bring that up at all? I think I'm done with with my big two points on the State of the Union. So unless you guys have something, I'm game for moving. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Did did Trump specifically? So did Trump specifically mention Virginia, or did he mention New York? He specifically mentioned New York. Okay. He he, he did uh, sort of allude to it though. Um, with the the comments about there being uh, baby killers, because that was more Northam than New York, because he he was the one who said that he would have been fine with uh, the child having been born and then then letting it die anyway. He actually did. Well, and then I think that tied into there was a bill that was introduced into a House committee in Virginia, um, and I think I wrote an article on this where the Democratic legislator who introduced the bill, she was asked by a member of the committee um, whether her bill would allow abortions up to the baby being born, and the and the legislator said yes. Yeah, the, I, I, I saw that too. I would I would just say I even though the, it's becoming more noticed now, it's really not a new position for the Democrats because I yeah. remember. I can't think of the specific the specifics of the bill, but I remember a very good friend of mine, uh, who was also my speech coach back in high school, uh, talked about this with me, and he said that that was the the reason he could never, even if he did like Obama on certain things, the reason he could never vote for Barack Obama was because when Barack Obama was in the Senate, he voted yes for a bill that uh, I forget what the reasoning would have been, but essentially what it would have done. If I'm remembering correctly, what this friend of mine said to me is that uh, it would have allowed for, let's say, the baby was born prematurely or something like that. They rule it as chemical waste and then stick it in a uh, in a uh, a bag and basically let it die in another room before they dispose of it. And so, and then Senator Obama voted yes for this, I guess. And that was what this friend of mine told me why they could never. Even if they liked Obama on some things, they could never vote for him. So this isn't really new for the Democratic Party. They're just becoming much more vocal about it. Well, it and it does speak to whether I, I mean, I, I think it speaks to Democrats are jumping ahead of themselves in terms of what people are going to tolerate. I mean, one of the things that I think that I think has made the religious right lose the battle over issues like abortion and gay marriage is that they've refused to either moderate or, and, and I know these are issues that, that if you are, if you believe in, you don't want to moderate, 
But by the same token, so for example, if you believe life begins at conception, you believe abortion should be banned, period. End of story. But by the same token, if you believe abortion is a woman's right to choose, then you don't care if a baby is aborted at nine months because until that baby comes out of the womb, it is still the woman's right to choose what she wants to do it. The, the thing is there's a lot of a lot of people who are not that invested in the issue. The, see, the, see, see the gray area that's involved there. And so when suddenly Democrats win an election with people who they think are the educated kind of people that are going to buy into their argument, they start walking around spouting, oh, well, yeah, we should be able to abort a baby up to nine months. Those same people are going to go, well, that's as extreme as the other side. And that's where I think this backlash against Democrats is starting to come from. I, uh, I I think that's a good way to put it, because I, I know a few people who are uh, they, they support what they consider to be because they because I've gotten in debates with these people. They'll say, well, I'm not pro abortion. I'm pro choice. And, and they say that with good faith. These are people who right. say that with good faith, because in their eyes, they view it as uh, as something to the effect of, well, you know, it, it, we can't force a woman to to uh to take on the economic burden of a child or whatever and that's how they view it they view it in a purely economic uh non uh they don't really consider the life of the child i would say but but my my counter to that would be is even if you are not uh even if you consider yourself pro-choice because you think people should just have the choice even if that is your position when it comes to actual when it comes to abortion in practice it's not really pro-choice though because and I think I've brought this up on our program before. If you're a rich woman from New York, you are unless unless you are really just a, against uh, having a kid, which you have a lot bigger problems than uh, than than this, I think. Um, but if you're a rich woman from New York, you're not the kind of person who is pushed into ha into doing that. It is poor women. It is women of color. The majority of uh, children that are aborted are uh are uh are black and non-white uh it's it's not a choice it, it's preying on the most vulnerable and they are the ones who have to sacrifice their children uh up to Moloch, if you will not a uh not some rich woman from new york so it's not really about choice at the end of the day because what choice is that to uh to somebody who is uh who is um poor and and while we're on it if if we're really discussing discussing it from the angle of people need to have a choice then how come how come adoption is never raised as a legitimate choice how come they always seem to shy away from that the people who, who say that so I, I see where you're coming from i just i i think there are people who say that in good faith but they really haven't thought the issue out and they're not they're not viewing it from the full spectrum is what i would say i can actually tell you that one of the reasons why the the why they say uh, adoption is never considered an, an option and it's and it's extremely cynical if i do say so, on, so myself and uh this is i'm speaking as someone who uh as i grow older unfortunately i've i've become more and more cynical of some people but i'm not this cynical uh the argument against uh well i shouldn't say against adoption but why Adoption is really brought brought up as the left say, well, you know, the vast majority of ad adoptions are, are of uh, you know, black or minority children, and 
uh, very few, very few white families want to adopt uh, black or Hispanic children. They only want healthy white babies, okay? So, in essence, we're justifying, you know, we're justifying one form of racism, which is killing, um, which is killing minority babies in the womb, uh, to, you know, to oppose another form of racism, which is, uh, which I don't even think really exists, which is this whole notion that white people don't want to adopt minority babies, which, uh, is laughable because, uh, well, I know. Well, I think of, it's, I think it's as laughable as the belief that that white people don't want to marry black people or white people don't want to marry Asians or Hispanics don't exactly. want to marry don't want I'm, to marry I'm white people. To, I'll put that argument to rest right now because actual science it is scientifically proven it is scientifically proven that we are attracted to people who are often from a different ethnic background than us and that is because at an evolutionary level you want uh, your offspring to have the best chance at survival, right? So, mm -hmm. you may not consciously realize it, but we pick up on pheromones other people have, and we try and find mates that have immune systems that are as different as possible from us. So, if you look, for example, at the uh, Native Americans, I'll use that as an example, because the Catholic Church, we encouraged, uh, back in those days, we encouraged our, uh, our people to, uh, to marry and have children with the Indians, uh, because it, in, in, it increases the chance of survival for them. Uh, and the reason is, if you are from an area that has a certain climate and has certain diseases that you're more vulnerable to, your immune system is going to be programmed to work that way. If you're from a different continent with a different uh, climate and different uh, potential illnesses that your immune system has to be prepared to fight against, and you come to this other place and you have children with that person, your offspring is going to have an immune system that is stronger than either of the parents. And so that is, it, 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 the, the notion of pure race is incredibly stupid to me. Because if you had a pure race, it would probably die out incredibly quickly. Because you wouldn't have, well, I mean, think about it, think about it. You laugh, but think about it. This is the science. No, 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 no I'm, not, I'm, I'm not laughing. You think, well, Josh, when you think about it, look at, look at all the, think, think about like European or, or like British history and how um, the, the nobles would interbreed with each other and they would struggle to have offspring. That, that's exactly it. That you limit your genetic diversity. Therefore, what do you, what do you expect to happen? You're going to not be able to have offspring, or the offspring that you have are going to be physically physically unfit. So, I, I mean, from a biological perspective, yeah, you seek out you seek out mates that are different than you because of that genetic diversity. Exactly. So that was that was sort of a tangent, I guess. I don't know where how we got onto that. But uh, but uh, to your point, though, Sam, uh, ex exactly on the, you know, I, I've got friends. Uh, I've mentioned them several times on this podcast. Uh, they're decent people aside from their politics and uh, and uh, they're they're hyper liberal. Uh, but I uh, as, as our listeners may know, Sam and I are both uh, into vintage menswear and I do business with these people because they sell vintage menswear. And uh, but they're they're incredibly they're far out there to the left, especially the the wife in terms of how pro-abortion she is. And she has twisted herself into a pretzel trying to explain to me 
how abortion is necessary in order to counter white supremacy. And I'm sitting here thinking the majority of children that are aborted, the majority of murdered children in this country are black. How can you make the case that by allowing those black children to be murdered, you are somehow fighting against white supremacy? It just doesn't add up. But they've got this intersectionality thing going. And I'm not even going to try and quote what her argument is because I could barely follow it. It was some sort of long uh, labyrinth, uh, you know, some sort of uh, the kind of, you know, you've twisted yourself into a pretzel thing that you see at universities these days. Um, uh, okay, Josh, to your point, I, I want to bring uh, something up because Jolly Roger uh, in our YouTube chat, and for, forgive me, Jolly, I don't know how long you've been watching, but uh, forgive me for not pulling up the live chat sooner. He just uh, DM'd me on our Discord. Uh, genetic ge genetic diversity based on immune systems. Did he address sickle cell yet? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, you know, sickle. I guess uh, you know, genetic genetic uh, diversity helps you know combat against sickle sickle cell anemia. I guess. Oh, sickle cell anemia. Okay. Um. I mean, I, I would suppose so. The, the general principle I was uh, to sort of go back to that, the, the general principle essentially is this, that if if you and I'm I'm I, you know, people have their own different uh, different preferences. And when it comes to selecting a mate, there are both conscious decisions we make and there are subconscious things. And that's not just finding somebody to marry and have children. with. That's something that we do every day and everything in our life. Uh, but subconsciously. Well, uh, you know, we may not realize that we're we're doing it for those reasons, but subconsciously, our our bodies try to detect through pheromones people who have immune systems that are different from us. And as often the case, people from different ethnic backgrounds are going to be probably, in terms of immune systems, those who are most um, who are most different from our own. And so that's you know that's to my point. That's what I was trying to say when I said the notion of a pure race. Is silly and stupid because you would be as Gabe noted with the Royals in Europe, you your offspring would over time as generations went by would be more and more vulnerable to different types of diseases and we and we've seen this they don't you know disease doesn't stop at the border it moves and uh, uh, through shipping through business you know you can't limit it just by uh, uh, restricting immigration it's gonna keep on moving if you ship materials even a lot of the times. Uh, rats, or, or that's how the Black Plague got into Europe uh, through animals. But anyways, sort of going off onto a tangent there. The, the point is that, uh, that that's why the notion of a pure race is stupid, because over time, those generations will be more vulnerable to different diseases because they're not getting the different sort of immune setup, if you will. I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know what the term would be. But uh, the you increase your chances. Maybe Gabe knows the term I'm looking for here. Maybe you have a better idea. But uh, you you increase your chances with somebody whose immune system is as different as possible from yours because your offspring has both the benefits of your immune system plus your mates. That's as simple as I can make it, I guess. Well, I forget what the exact term is, but yeah, uh, uh, essentially that that's what it is. Um, but I, I, I mean, tying this back to um, 
Virginia or, or New York, I, I, I think it just speaks to, I do think it speaks to, or actually tying it back to a prior point that you made, Josh, which is that the friends that you have that are pro-choice who are well-meaning, and I have them too, um, they also are enabling this kind of thing to happen. And, and by essentially enabling this thing to happen, why are they shocked when suddenly you hear somebody spout, well, you should be able to abort a baby at nine months? What, what did you think was going to happen when you enable people to be able to abort a baby at six months? It, it's, it's, just a logical it's just a logical progression of that it is a woman's right to choose. And until that baby comes out of the woman, it's still, it, it's still the woman's right to choose what happens to it. Um, so, I mean, I think there's, I certainly, I think there's a double standard when everybody is apoplectic at Northam saying that after, after the baby is born, the doctor and the, the doctor and the mother will have a conversation. Well, that, that's, I mean, that's the next logical progression once they start legalizing, making it as easy as possible to get abortions and you don't need any qualifications to conduct an abortion. Here, here, I'm glad. I like how you phrased that, how the, you know, where do you draw the line if you've gone for six months and then, you know, that's just the progression. Because essentially, and we've, you know, this, I, I've said that our podcast could probably also be called something along the lines of philosophical discussions, because we've discussed before on here, uh, the ultimate, the ultimate problem with all this is that people have fundamentally different worldviews now. I forget the name of the cardinal who said it, but there's a Catholic cardinal who put it this way once, and I only recently discovered this quote. Uh, but he said that all conflicts in human history are essentially theological in nature. And uh, what what that what he's essentially saying is, it depends on how you view the nature of man, who God is, who man is, and so if, if you're coming at it from this enlightenment liberal angle that uh, man is sovereign and that the individual is sovereign and that nothing can limit him and that he knows what is best and he can do whatever he wants so long as he is, in theory, not harming somebody else, then you inevitably get to the point where you're willing to say, yeah, sure, we can abort a baby after it's been born. Or, yeah, sure, I can change myself into a parakeet and say that I'm a female and that I'm a orangutan with pink and purple polka dots or whatever, because you, you completely undermine what it means to be a human being. And that's what really the core of all of our, of all of our uh, debates are anymore, because whether it's defining when life begins or trying to determine if there's only two genders, as we have always understood it, as science has always understood it, or if people can just be whatever they want to be, the physical evidence be damned. Uh, it all comes back ultimately to what is man or what is a human being. And it's essentially a theological debate, even if our society doesn't want to accept it as one. Uh, because we we sort of have, have taken ourselves to be gods. Uh, I, I also teach CCD, and I recently was explaining this to my students. For our listeners who don't know what CCD is, that is a, a, a program within the Catholic Church for uh, for young students. I teach seventh or eighth grade uh, to help them learn the faith, and I'm a teacher for that. And so, anyways, I was recently uh, discussing this with my students, saying that a lot of the problems your guys' generation is seeing growing up, specifically the transgender stuff, 
goes all the way back. It's the same initial lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden when he said to them that if you eat from the tree of, of knowledge, or if you eat from the tree of good and evil, you can be just like God. And that's essentially what the what the enlightenment is, what this current cultural underpinning that so much of our society has come to accept essentially says that man is God, man is sovereign, man can do what he wants. He has no responsibilities to anyone but himself. And that is where that's the faulty underpinning. You know, that's ultimately at the root of all these things. Um, I'd be interested in hearing Gabe's come back to that because I know you and I have interesting discussions on this. Well, uh, I'll admit I sort of zoned out in there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I can. I sometimes have that effect. <laughs> no, it's not you. Uh, uh, I mean, well, yeah, it's not you. I think I just zoned out there for a second. I, I fully admit. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'll go back to what I said before, which is I do just think that it is. Um, a logical progression of, of what we're going to see in society um, in terms of things such as abortion. Um, but I, I personally am a bit shocked and offended by that. The media has enabled this to occur. And then they are, and then they're sh supposedly shocked and offended when essentially the fruits of their labor are shown to are shown so clearly. And, and again, it goes back to the, the what did you expect? Like, again, you allow abortion at six months. What's the difference between six and nine months? Um, at, at six months, it's been science has proven that a baby can feel it can move. So what's the difference between six months and nine months other than a number to people if you believe that abortion should be allowed at six months? Um I mean, essentially what it essentially the entire Virginia thing boils down to it insults people's sensibilities. Um, and, and I, I mean, I, I hate to tie this to, to sort of how how African-Americans feel about racism in that, you know, white suburbanites will vote for people who are well sounding and who talk about how we need to eliminate racism. But they aren't willing to get their hands dirty to actually stop it. And by the same token, I think this is the perfect corollary to that in terms of that, you know, you're the, the white suburbanite or the suburbanite in general is fine with abortion at six months, as long as it gives the woman the right to pursue, say, her economic dreams. But at nine months, they're offended by it. Well, an abortion is an abortion at six months at six months versus nine months and the baby still feels it at six months versus nine months. So really it's, it's splitting hairs. Um, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but their whole starting argument almost made this inevitable too. But if I, I'm not wrong in saying this, I don't think, correct me if I am, but from the get go, have it, hasn't their argument essentially been that until it's born, it's not really a human being. Isn't that Pretty what much. the caller said? So that, yeah. that sort of sets them up for this mentality because if it's not a human being, then yeah, what difference does it make from six right. to eight months? Well, so. and, if you, and if you ultimately believe, I mean, fundamentally believe that a woman's body, anything that happens to a woman's body or anything that occurs within a woman's body is ultimately her property and it's her right to choose, then a baby at six months or a baby at nine months, as long as it's not out of the womb, Ultimately, why would you care what happens to to that baby? Uh, I mean, that that again is just the ultimate progression of that line of thought, which which is 
she can do whatever she wants with it. I mean, to them, it's an it. To them, it's not a living thing. Exactly. So, exactly. And, yeah. and I think, I mean, I, I do appreciate, I mean, bringing this back to the State of the Union for a second, that Trump actually did bring that up. Um, and I know that was that was probably the most contentious point of of the State of the Union, but I think it was a point he had to make, not just because of the moral implications of it, but also I think he had to make it because his reelection prospects somewhat hinge on it. I mean, it's it's now out there, black and white, that there are states that are basically saying it's okay to make abortion as easy to get as buying a Big Mac at Burger King. I mean, that that fundamentally is essentially where some states are going. You know, you know, Gabe, I'm going to have to correct you on this one because I think it'd be pretty difficult to buy a Big Mac at a Burger King. <laughs> oh, did I, did I get that one wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a Whopper at a Burger King. But... No, uh, no, 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 jo no, Josh, I, I'm going to have to correct you on that one. Uh, I'm going to have to correct both of you on, on this one because... Now, at least in New, in New York City, I'm pretty sure it's harder. I'm pretty sure it's actually harder to buy a Big Mac uh, at McDonald's or a Whopper at Burger King in like New York City than it is to get an abortion. Like, and that's 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 what's so insane. This is why I want to go to New York. It is now harder to go to a fast food restaurant and um and uh, you know order like a burger and fries because of the because of de Blasio's stupid health laws than it is to abort abort a baby that that's the that's the weird thing is you know god forbid you, you know we're, we're god forbid we kill ourselves with uh you know fast food and burgers and fries oh no we can have that but by all means these women can kill their children you know, literally a few weeks before they're born, if they want to. You know, it gets even crazier with the the Green New Deal because, by God, we can't oh. be eating hamburgers and killing these cows, but we can. Uh, oh God, Josh! I, I was I was hoping to make it through a podcast without you mentioning the Green New Deal. Fuck! Why'd you have to do that, man? No, no, I'm sure we'll do a special episode all on just that eventually. But oh. that, that would be its own podcast right there. Oh yeah. Well, I don't, I don't mean to curse at you. It's just you know, I mean, good God, good God Almighty! If, the... if if people if people didn't think Ocasio Cortez was was an idiot before, it, like if it wasn't painfully obvious, even uh, <laughs> I read an article last night. I. I I tweeted this out a few days ago, just with, with like me laughing and saying ha 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 ha, you know. Uh, but I wanted to support this thing. I wanted to support uh, it. I'm literally the guy sitting here saying, "Look, Ocasio, you only had one job. You just had to write a bill that would have adequately addressed climate change, and instead, and instead, you come out with a bill." That includes protections for 35 or whatever the heck the number was. 35 uh, protections for quote unquote historically oppressed classes of Americans. <laughs> uh, you had one job. I, I was rooting for you on this one, and you screwed it up. <laughs> but well, well, she, well, she went from she went from sustainable green energy. She went from sustainable green energy to uh, 
to basically a, a whole plan for like a one world world government and total globalism. And even Na and even Nancy Pelosi was like, "Yeah, I'm not Alex Jones, but even that, even all of this seems a little extreme for." I, I will you know. say, the crowning moment of stupidity in that has to be the uh, the 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 living wage for those who are unwilling to work, uh, which. Uh, they they already have that. It's called welfare. But uh, well, they they do have requirements on some of that. I I am all for helping. As as you have listened, if if you're a regular listener of our podcast, you know that out of all of our hosts here, I am the one that is sternly almost to the left on uh, economic issues, and and even I will come out and say that that's insane. Uh, yeah, argue that. Uh, again, this is why I'm so disappointed that my uh, sound sound effect board didn't didn't uh, isn't working with Hangouts. I had so many good ones I could have played for for this uh, point. But yeah. While we're, uh, while we're discussing Virginia, excuse me there. While we're discussing Virginia. Uh, we we've sort of discussed Northam. I was wondering if uh, we could if we could visit the facts about the Fairfax case because I know I was kind of excited to discuss that. Uh, yeah, Josh. To be honest, I don't really know that much about Fairfax, so fill fill me in or more both both of you. I don't think anyone knows really that much about Fairfax. So he is the uh, the African American uh, lieutenant governor of Virginia. And, oh, oh yeah, and he. Yeah. He was uh, the the next in line to uh, and and I, I bring up his race because there's a funny joke I want to tell about that that I saw on Catholic Twitter earlier this morning, but uh, he he was in line to take over after Northam until his own scandal came out. But I'll quickly tell you the joke. I forget who it was, but somebody tweeted that uh, I don't think the Democrats have really thought out this whole uh, this whole uh, the the way they're handling Virginia because in a scandal about a guy wearing blackface, it's starting to look like. Uh, the the white guys will get off with it while the black guy is the one who takes the hit because that's who the media they're like I don't think we've thought the implications of this out too far because it looks like the black guy is the only one who gets in trouble in a scandal about a white governor being in blackface but um, that was the joke but anyways he was in line to take over after Northam and that's sort of been jeopardized for him now because uh, he, a woman uh, came forward uh, saying that she had previously, and, and I will lay out my theory of what happened after I explain, uh, but uh, that had previously worked with him, said that uh, he basically uh, forced her to give him oral sex. And uh, another allegation has come forward, although I don't really know the details on that, on that one. Maybe Gabe can bring those in later. So I'm not going to address those so much. I'm going to discuss the initial claim against him. But she's, she claims that, that her and... Uh, and uh, Fairf Fairfax were uh, were working at the state capitol one night, and uh, they kind of had the hots for each other, so they were making out. Uh, but apparently, uh, after th after they had made out for a little while, he uh, forced her uh, to to perform oral sex on him. Uh, which I don't know if our listeners are familiar with uh, how the mechanics of that work, uh, and I'm not really going to explain it. But uh, suffice it to say, I, I don't quite understand. If you were, if you were, if you were forced, if you, if I were, if a man were trying to force that onto you, I would think you could bite. 
Um, so that's my first problem with it. But here's what I think ultimately happened. And here's why I think this is so problematic and why I stick up for him. Uh, because I do believe he's innocent and deserves the benefit of the doubt until he is convicted in a court of law. Uh, but here's the thing. According to her, they were making out in the state capitol one night. Okay, not very professional, but you can see that, that that was consensual and they had the hots for each other. Now, here's where my theory comes in. So we've established they're, they're kind of into each other and they're making out. What I think probably happened is he wanted her to perform oral sex on him and he sort of pressured her into it. And yeah. if, I think every every woman, unfortunately, in America knows uh, or, or has been in a situation like this, particularly when they're in high school where a boyfriend tried to pressure them into doing something sexual they didn't want to do. And the usual argument would be, well, if uh, you love me, you'll do it. Or, you know, that's what, what, what boyfriends and girlfriends are supposed to do or whatever. And that's unfortunate and that's terrible and that's tragic. And that's what we really should be having a discussion about. But instead we're in the throes of the me too thing. So we're not. Um, and uh, what probably happened was he pressured her into doing it. She consented reluctantly reluctantly being the key word because she still consented she, even even if here here's my issue with it if we're gonna go we should call if if, the, if he did pressure her into doing that we should call him out on that just like we should call out all the men uh who have who have pressured women into doing things like that and we should call out all the women who have pressured men into doing things like that because that happens uh in the reverse as well uh that is wrong but we're not discussing that instead what our society seems to be doing is saying oh look that is a def that is the same thing as a rape, but it isn't. A, it, it's not the same thing. The consent was still there. I think we do a huge disservice to young people who are already confused enough about this as everything's in flux. It seems like uh, we do a huge disservice to them by blurring the line, the already increasingly blurry lines on what our culture deems consent by blurring them even further because consenting reluctantly is different than being forced it like physically forced like a gunpoint into doing something and i think anybody with some common sense could could see that uh it, and and i'll let you guys take it from here because i've laid out my theory i've laid out what i think is wrong with it i think i think that we're we're trying we're, we're going back and turning something that was already wrong and we're making it like a capital offense we're saying oh he's a rapist well he's not a rapist he's a jerk and a jackass uh, if if my theory is correct, but that's not the same as being a rapist. So, again, this goes this goes back to my whole thing of the of the double standard that the that the Me Too movement has and uh, whatnot and how and how they've become the new uh, sexual puritans. Okay, we we've seen time and time again uh, examples of. Uh, women being encouraged and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, of being allowed and even encouraged to dress or, uh, you know, act in like a, in a obviously sexually provocative way. And, uh, and yet these feminists are saying almost kind of as a, uh, Almost as kind of a joke, I would say that you know, just because a woman does sexual behavior, does not necessarily mean it, that it's intended sexually. Even though we d we damn well know that that's what it is, uh, you know. So then, if a if a man is, uh, 
you know, is titillated by a woman, well, then he's an inherent rapist. Now, the reason why I bring that up with this whole uh, Fairfax thing is we don't know what... It, I, I hate to be this this guy, but we don't know, you know, what happened. We only know what allegedly happened. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, they, they could have started making out. And, yeah, like you said, Josh, it could, it could have been reluctant. Uh, at the same time, though, you know, she, she could have also, you know, liked the idea of performing oral sex and then, like, found it disappointing or whatever and then decided that it was sexual assault or something. That happens a lot, too. It does. Uh, it does. Where, uh, you know, women are really into the prospect of, you know, performing whatever sexual act and then they get done and they find, oh, it's not that fulfilling, so... I'm going to, uh, I'm going to cry rape or something. It happens, it happens all the time on college campuses, too. So many of these problems, and this is my number, if you're a young, if you're a young teenager, or, you know, kind of in that position, or you're somebody who's just not engaged in, uh, in sexual, um, relations yet, uh, my advice to you is this, just keep your pants zipped until you are married. It will save you so many problems. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and that's just the thing because it it as again as I've sort of uh, harped on throughout this whole podcast about man having this enlightenment post enlightenment view the same lie that Satan offered back in the Garden of Eden thinking that we can be as God and that we can know what's best and that we're in control of everything and that we know what's best is disproven hilariously disproven by the fact. That advice going back over 2,000 years ago, the advice of simply waiting to have sex until you're married, can solve like 99% of the sexual problems are, that our society has. Uh, and, and it just goes to show you that modern society, we don't know what's best. We're not God. We don't, we're not geniuses just because we were able to land on the moon. Uh, which, if you're Alex Jones, you debate that to begin with. Uh, uh, or, or if your own, or if your own Benjamin, uh, <laughs> yeah, or if your own Benjamin, but uh, but it, it, it's it's old advice that could perfectly solve so many of these these to me I call them unnecessary problems of modern living, uh, but uh, it it is what it is I guess that's what I have to say about. Oh. All, all I all I could all I could say for the uh, for the young gentleman listening out there is uh, just continue to uh, dress sharp and be a be a gentleman, but wait until the uh, wait until you're married. There's nothing wrong with being a with being a gentleman, but just leave it at that. I I will I will gladly say for our viewers, in case you feel the peer pressure, I have waited until I am married, and I am not yet married. So not neither am I. My, my, in fact, my poor my poor mother keeps harping on me. When are you gonna date? When are you gonna, when are you gonna find a nice girl and settle down and get married? So, and I I've actually told her, this is the other thing thing too. I I've told her, I've said, Mom, uh, you know, it's it's hard because, uh, so many of these, so many of these women, not all of them, but a lot of them are just they they, they're still, caught up in their own. Uh, heads and you know, wanting to none of them are none of them are ready to settle down. And I want to find a woman who I'm proud to bring home to you. So, 
Well, I mean, I, yeah. I think it does point. I I think it does point to that, as you say, Josh. It is, it is really easy to see how these things can be misunderstood. Um, I I will say for um, for Fairfax, it does it it doesn't sound like the first allegation was as serious. The second allegation is much more in terms of the testimony, and I forget her name. Um, she did make it public, but the testimony that the second um, allegation or the second person alleges is much more is much more sexual assault than that than the first allegation. Um, Can you focus in on that? Because I that, I I sort of mentioned that at the beginning. I have not had a chance to really read into the second one yet, so I'm I'm still kind of sailing blind on this one. I haven't read that much into it either, other than that I do know um, that the allegation that she did put out um, is is much more, in terms of what she alleges. It it pretty much is that that he raped her and and that it was premeditated and it wasn't a misunderstanding, as opposed to the first allegation of well he forced me to perform oral sex. Well, that's a lot different than a premeditated rape. And that is, that's what the second allegation pretty much alleges. Um, I, I mean, I don't know much more than that, but um, uh, the second allegation is much more serious than the first in terms of, in terms of if it's true, it, it pretty much is rape. I mean, there, there's no, there's no room for misinterpretation um, in that regard. Gotcha. I'll have to, yeah, we'll, we'll have to maybe revisit this after, uh, after we get a chance to read more about it and and see if any, anybody else comes forward or what happens, because this is still involving uh, Virginia is a, is a slow moving train wreck. Because uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar, the governor uh, the governor was first in hot water for the for his comments on essentially saying that a baby can be born and that they can choose to let it die and essentially abort it after it's been born afterwards. Then the lieutenant governor had the cases we just discussed about, about uh, sexual assault and uh, impropriety on his part. And then the Republican speaker of the uh, of the I forget if it's the House or the Senate there. He was the third in line for the secession after the lieutenant governor. He came out and said that uh, that he had pictures of himself in blackface when he was in high school. Uh, and to his credit, I guess he decided to come right out and admit it. Um but Virginia, you have that you have that slightly backwards. So the this the Republican Senate Majority Leader is the one who who supposedly said that there is a picture of a, that he was um, he was part putting the yearbook together of his part of the team that put together the yearbook for his high school that posted those photos. He is um, not the fourth in line. That's the Speaker of the House. However, the Senate Majority Leader um, has been around for a really damn long time, and so it's 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 pretty shocking there too. Um, but the he would not be in line for the 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 governorship if all three Democrats resign. It would be the Speaker. Um, but again, it's just it's another it's another sign of the train wreck that is the grand state of Virginia. Well, 
if, if, if you feel bad about how you do your job, just imagine how the Virginia Republican Party opposition research guys must be feeling because this wasn't even stuff that was like hidden in some big conspiracy. It was just a picture in the guy's yearbook. Anybody should have been able to find that. Well, uh, admittedly, admittedly, I guess a yearbook might not be the first place you'd go looking for the, the, the damning evidence against your opponent in an election. But, well, I mean, uh, I'm sure it's fresh in your guys' minds, the whole Kavanaugh hearing, but there were there are now one of the, the one of the things that is going to be the consequences of the Kavanaugh hearing is they are opposition researchers are going to go into people's lives from the, when they were kids. So That's like I, I I think a lot of oppo researchers probably don't go back beyond when somebody enters um, when somebody enters politics. That's going to completely change now. They're going to go into a Facebook post you made you when you were ten years old that was like, "I really wish I was Michael Jackson and dressed like a black person." It's that is probably what we're going to see in the future, and it's going to be unearthed after some guy wins the presidency twenty years from now. I uh, I I am some I'm I'm somewhat concerned about this, but my opinion on it has sort of evolved because for the longest time my attitude was this. Millennials don't have to worry about this because everybody will have a Facebook and everybody will be able to relate to uh, that kind of you know thing being out there. So I, I thought that those attacks would be less common. But then as this thing began to sort of get uh, began to gather steam, I began to really get worried about it. And so I, I think Rod Dreher put it the best on Twitter. He's a writer with the American Conservative. But from a Christian standpoint, as a society, I, th I think we need to develop some sort of mechanism for grace for people going forward on stuff like this, because, like I said, every millennial and I don't know about the next generation. I don't think the younger kids are quite into, as into Facebook as we are, but they have they have their own versions like Instagram where that kind of thing can happen. Um, and, uh, you know, what's going to happen to them going forward? We have to have we. We have to, at some level, as a society, regain our sense of uh, of mercy or 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 grace. Because think about it: what fair society is going to look at you like they did Kavanaugh and say, "Aha, you did stupid things when you were th when you were twelve years old. We're going to hold that against you for the rest of your life, Sonny." I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. We we I don't see how a functional society can do that indefinitely because you. You'll get to a point where you'll either numb everybody to the point that when things that really are concerning show up, nobody's going to care, or you're going to get to this uh, this uh, dystopian sort of future where only those who have access to that data, like the Zuckerbergs of the world, are safe, while everybody else is easily blackmailed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. It, it it basically is it it's a it's a personification of your life is on is on public display for ev for every single person and it 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 is it ties into the the i mean not to sidetrack us but it ties into the whole debate over um democrats well not debate but democrats basically probing into bush's into sorry trump's tax returns of you're opening Pandora's box in, in terms of that, just like you're opening up Pandora's box when you dig into somebody's history from 40 years ago, because whatever you do, the other side can do just as well.
I don't I don't think so so much about the tax returns because that's been fairly common practice since Watergate. I thought that every candidate was supposed to release that kind of information. Well, it yes and no. Not every every candidate usually does, but not or every candidate usually does. Or every candidate, I should say, every candidate usually does, but not every candidate is required to. Gotcha. I, my whole theory on that has been that the only reason, because I think they're looking for some sort of, aha, he had business dealings in Russia, which as we've discussed before, who hasn't at that level? And, uh, and my whole theory for why he's never released the tax returns is that he's just not as rich as he says he is, which... Again, maybe that'll be the case, and they'll try and turn that into a big, big scandal, too. Like, ah, he's he's not as wealthy as he says he is, to which I say, welcome to the statistics that show that on uh, online dating, people are likely to boost their uh, their income potential by like 20% or whatever the figure is. But, uh, I mean, so, not saying that's right either. It's just, you know, it's, we know it's a fact people do that. Um, so... I don't see how that would be a big scandal for them if they found that in his. I think uh, I th I think on the subject kind of, and this could be another topic for itself. Uh, this last week, the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church actually came out and he gave a really good lecture on uh, smartphones, where he basically said that if you're going to have this kind of technology, you need to make sure it's as decentralized as possible because you risk catastrophe we risk catastrophe not just uh, as on a country by country level but as a as a species we we risk catastrophe if we allow there to be some sort of central database of everybody's data data that only a small group of people get to have control of which is kind of what has happened to a certain degree with zuckerberg and bezos and apple and you name it but yeah so uh last last part of our segment which is louisiana um and and just for our readers well i should ask do either of you guys really know that much about louisiana i'll be honest i haven't followed it too terribly closely i uh i saw the headlines like two days ago and my extent of being able to inform myself about it has been my asking you earlier today what about louisiana uh <laughs> Well, there. I mean, there's there's not a there's not a whole lot to it. Um, it, it I mean, other than so, um, you guys know that the case from a few years ago where Texas um, tried to implement abortion restrictions, and Kennedy, when he was on the Supreme Court, basically ruled that 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 those restrictions were unconstitutional. So Louisiana is among a couple and a couple other states excuse me, in the South have passed abortion restrictions pretty similar to, um, to Texas's rules um, that would require, that would force most of the abortion clinics in the, the state to close down. So um, it, it went to the appeals court and I forget the exact appeals court that oversees that region. It's like the fifth or sixth appeals court um, or circuit court, excuse me. Uh, and so the circuit court actually ruled in favor of the state of Louisiana. And so Planned Parenthood in a last ditch effort asked the Supreme Court to issue a stay. And on Friday, the Supreme Court issued the stay, basically saying the law can't be enforced until it moves through the rest of the judicial system and the Supreme Court decides whether to take up the case or not. Um, it, it probably won't be heard this term. It'll probably be heard next term. 
but I think it does. Um, I, I think in its own way, it puts to lie the idea that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Because this was, I mean, this was, pre- if Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned, the Supreme Court would have not have issued a stay on this law. Right. So, so that's Louisiana. And Josh, I know you've been up in arms about this, about um, uh, Republicans promising wins on the court and never getting anything for social conservatives. Um and that kind of feeds that that kind of feeds into it. Although I would issue the caution for our readers or our listeners, which is the Supreme Court issues lots of stays on many things. It doesn't necessarily indicate the opinions of the Supreme Court. It usually indicates that there's a split among the circuit courts. And so the Supreme Court is issuing a stay just to keep things as is until it until it goes to the to the Supreme Court for an actual decision. So, I mean, you, you can read into the tea leaves of this or not, um, but it is notable that both Kavanaugh and um, uh, Gorsh voted not to stay the ruling and Roberts did. If, if you want to, to our listeners, if you want to view it as optimistically as possible, just remember that the stay may only be until the, the charade that Ginsburg is still alive is up. But uh, I know that meme has been disproven already because she was out at a supermarket or something like that. I don't know. And, uh, but I still think that's funny. Did you, did you guys see that for the last few weeks they were doing the whole, uh, is Ginsburg really alive or the Democrats just have her body hidden in a room somewhere? <laughs> I, I tell you guys, they, they, they wind her up every single day and then, I have to wind her up the next day. Well, it's, uh, it's it's weekend at Ginsburg's place. <laughs> you know, I've never seen that movie yet. I need to see neither, that. It's... Not, neither have I, but you know that, that that's it's a big reference. So, um, speaking of, I I real I really hope I don't want to. I know what we're trying to wrap up the show, but this does kind of beg the question of. Um, with the state of the union out of the way this was one final point i wanted to bring up uh who do you i'm i'm checking on twitter kind of uh what people's opinions are on the state of the union and uh this as far as like conservative slash libertarian twitter goes um no one can really objectively see how the democrats are in any better position to win in twenty six in twenty twenty, I mean, so if the Demo- if the Democrats uh, if the Democrats wanted to win, uh, they'd nominate Tulsi Gabbard, but that ain't gonna happen. Nope. Uh, I, I I I do think the Democrats are gonna run themselves so far to the left that they actually are going to make um, Schultz run. And Schultz will split the vote, and Trump will win with less than a majority of the vote again. I uh, I just like that's it. My prediction. Pardon? Oh, I said that's my prediction. I uh, I, I guess I don't really have a prediction beyond Kamala Harris will be the eventual nominee yet. But uh, I, I I do uh, I, I I've expressed my support for her. I think 
for almost two years now. Oh, we haven't done the podcast for two years, have we? Uh, I I've I know I have supported her for at least the last two years in writing, if not on the podcast. But uh, I, I I do think we're going to see interesting things from Tulsi as the primary goes on, because she she shows just how totally removed their party has become from uh, from having a non-interventionist foreign policy. Every every time she opens her mouth, the media freaks out about her too. That's the funniest part because any any objective observer knows that she's not going to win the nomination. But every time she opens her mouth, the mainstream media flips out as though this is the woman who's on the verge of getting the nomination, and they need to. Uh, have Have you noticed that too, Gabe? Uh, I haven't. I just the last I've heard of her was that her campaign was basically fizzling. I uh, I follow Michael Tracy a lot on it. And he always shares the he always mocks CNN and he shares these articles that CNN's constantly putting out. The other day they were freaking out because she went on to Morning Joe or something like that. And she said, look, Bashar al-Assad is not an enemy of the United States. He's fighting radical Islamic terrorism. He's protecting religious liberty in his country. And uh, and she and she basically said that on I don't know if it was Morning Joe it was one of the morning programs. But then immediately afterwards, the Daily Beast. Politico, CNN, they all had these hysterical headlines denouncing her saying, that's not what America is. You Just because you don't have any moral standing at all, you're not allowed to, to be a serious candidate for the presidency. And they just freaked out. And I was sitting here thinking, you know, uh, it's telling that you guys are, are this freaked out by a woman who is not even anywhere close to securing the nomination. Uh, but it, it's interesting. I think we'll see interesting things in terms of my realignment theory, which I managed to somehow shoehorn into this episode still now uh i i do know i mean that i do know that every democrat basically just ran around doing an apology to her for all the bad positions they used to hold on social issues including including tulsi gabbard she she did do that i thought that was uh i i was disappointed on that uh and, and you, you know this is another question maybe we can do another episode on this uh but it floors me when for uh, I forget what exact what specifically her faith is. I know it's some sort of uh, variation on Hinduism, um, but that is why because she is a, a woman of faith. That is why she had uh, had been so strongly opposed to uh, gay marriage. And uh, as far as I can tell, at least on a personal level, she still is because they were beaten up on her for calling uh, for the way she had talked about it in 2016. Um, but here's my question, though. Why are there so many Democrats like Ilan, Ilan, I, I'm butchering her name, but uh, Ilan Omar, the, the Muslim congresswoman from Minnesota, she describes herself as a feminist. The Quran says that abortion is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Uh, a lot of the, the things that modern feminism holds up are antithetical to the Islamic tradition, just like they're antithetical to the Christian tradition. So it blows my mind that uh, that that she is touted as being some somehow um, uh, indicative uh, of their position when she doesn't even believe what's written in the Quran, and it just floors me. And, and it's the same thing. And and maybe she does believe it on the personal level, but then that doesn't translate into her political beliefs. And it just floors me because again, if if you were serious about it, it would be something that should play a role in how you think society ought to be governed, right? Um, so I don't understand. 
it confuses me when you get to like, why did Tulsi apologize? Yes, I understand the practical political reasons given her political party, but I don't understand how at the end of the day, when she's going to bed at night, how she reconciles that between with herself, if that makes any sense. I, I guess my guess, Josh, would be that she had to do it for political expediency. I know. I just I, I understand the practical political reasons. I don't. No, I, 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 I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't. Get it. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how seriously you take your faith. Maybe it's not that seriously in her case, but you know that these are fundamental things that you either believe or you don't. Um, so I, I will I will let our listeners know. And you can look it up. I encourage you guys to like it on Facebook uh, as well, because I did. But a friend of mine actually linked me to a group called uh, Muslims for Trump. And I loved their uh, their little slogan, which was essentially that an attack on tradition anywhere is an attack on tradition everywhere. And then it said, hashtag make America great again in Salah, which mean which is essentially uh, Arabic for uh, if God wills it. So make America great again if God wills it in Salah, um, which I thought was cool. But that was because yeah. game was that's one of my hopes. So I was I, I thought it was cool when a friend of mine sent me that Muslims for Trump page. I think that's pretty cool too. All right, folks. So uh, what what have we been going, gentlemen? About uh, about an hour and uh, it's eleven twelve now. So and we started at like nine twelve. So wow, I think uh, almost two hours. We're we're. At some point in the future, we'll be like an actual news channel where it just never ends. It's just that we walk away and then some other, some other people come and take over and the news coverage just continues. <laughs> the Whitfield the, the, the Whit Report channel 24-7. You know, you know, that's actually kind of what I want to do with this YouTube channel eventually. Once, once, we, once I get enough subs on here, I just want to have like a, a continuous stream i don't know how that'll work out but anyway for now we'll just strive to be like joe rogan and do like three hour podcasts at a time so but uh i guess uh any final remarks that we'll stretch this out into another hour i'm getting i'm getting pretty hungry for some yogurt so uh i don't think i'm gonna drag mine out (laughs) Josh is Josh is the honest one here. <laughs> well, 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 Josh. If 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 we had if if this podcast had a yogurt sponsor, I would plug it for uh, for people. But we don't. So we have we have Flipboard sponsoring the audio podcast, but uh, that's an app. So, um, do you Gabe? I do not have it. Well, I don't have any final thoughts. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I I guess my final thought is uh, the the left is uh, I think overall Trump did a pretty good job at the State of the Union. I love that he. Uh, I love that we got to see Trump the troll again. So um, I I thought that was great. Uh, look. The leftists suck, and uh, to borrow a phrase from uh, Ben Shapiro, facts and uh, biological and uh, you know biological fact doesn't care about your feelings either. 
If I may chime in one last time, now that you mentioned sure, it, sure, did, yeah. did that guy who was questioning it, did, did he ever had a, uh, have a follow-up or did we have any more live questions? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it was really, I don't think it was really questioning it. I think it was like more of a point about how, uh, you know, how basically a white supremacist, if we were to follow that logic, it's horrible, um, you know, it it would be horrible for everyone's immune systems. We we would all we would all die. So, yeah, I just I just was wondering if we had any more live questions because I kind of listeners chime in, and I thought maybe at the end we can review and see if we missed anybody. YouTube, this is okay. So thank you for bringing this up because I do want to address this on air before we we sign off. So I guess th this is my last thought, final thought too, uh, regarding the show and whatnot. Uh, people have been DMing me and whatnot, saying that the YouTube streams for uh, this show and for the Whitfield Report haven't been popping up on your mobile feed for the last few weeks. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I I apologize. That's not an hour, and uh, YouTube is just not giving notifications for any channels whatsoever lately. It's a it's a big bug. It's it's not just conservative channels. That's what people think, but uh, none of the tech channels or whatnot I've I subscribe to have been giving me, me notifications either. So uh, I've complained to YouTube about it, and I encourage you to do the same. Uh, but the pot, but that's why it's important to subscribe to the audio podcast too, which is uh, out on Mondays, and we should be getting that out too. So, uh, at any rate, folks, thanks for uh, listening, and uh, as always, God bless, and God save this great nation. We'll see you uh, here next week. Same time, same channel.